0: begun. It has raged unseen for millennia, and though we often struggle to see the conflict for what it really is, all of us can feel its effects. We wrestle with the powers of sin and death on a daily basis, and sometimes, in our darkest moments, it can feel like we're losing. But the Word of the Lord tells a different story. Hope echoes throughout the pages of Scripture. Despite the mystery that surrounds it, The book of Revelation offers the people of God a clear message. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. I love that. That's why I wanted to do it. Fear not tomorrow. Tomorrow is one. Now I want to share with you, I was warned about that lead-in. And yet, I still jumped on it. You know, we live in a world filled with warnings. Have you noticed that? I mean, our lives are completely filled with warnings. Every time we get in the truck, a bell goes off to warn us that someone, whose name will go unmentioned, has not buckled their seatbelt yet. When we woke up yesterday morning, it was to a warning. Did any of you get the tornado warning that I got? Okay, so here's what I'm curious about. Let's, However many got the warning, raise your hand if you got a warning on your phone. Okay. How many of you went to the basement? Okay, quite, that's pretty good. I was curious, like for the veterans around here, how many actually heed the warning and go down to the basement? That's good to see. We'll keep going down to the basement now. Thanks for your encouragement. But aren't warnings all over the place? Like on my phone, I have notifications for upcoming appointments. It is constant, even this morning. At the hour of just before 5 a.m., you're thinking I'm going to say alarm clock, but it wasn't. It was our fire alarm went off and told us there's a fire in the house. So we jump up out of bed, go looking around, smelling for smoke anything no false alarm how many of you hate false alarms i know i do right because you get ramped up the adrenaline starts to flow and you're looking around and you're asking yourself is this warning real what does it mean what should i change or do differently right now that i've gotten this warning and that's the big question That really is the big question. What do you do when your fire alarm goes off at 5 a.m. in the morning? Do you just ignore it and go right back to sleep going, ah, it's just a false alarm? What do you do when you get the tornado warning or the seatbelt warning? And the answer to that is quite different for everybody based on their experience and kind of their attitude about warnings. And I'm guessing you can tell why I'm starting this way because... Revelation chapter 20 is about the end of the world and judgment day, and it is a warning. It's an alert. It's a notification, not from your iPhone, but directly from God. But also, despite the fact that it is from God Himself, who is holy, 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 I'm guessing that you've heard it all before. Oh, yeah, I've. I've heard about Judgment Day. I've heard that we should be ready all the time because we don't know the day or the hour. Even Jesus said he didn't know the day or the hour. And so what happens to us? What happens is, what happens to anybody when you have heard the warning before and you're not sure whether you should take it seriously this time? And in fact, when you've got a world in your ear, how many of you have seen the cartoon meme that I've seen ever since I was a kid? A cartoon where there's a guy whose hair is kind of disheveled and he's wearing a, what looks like a, a camel's hair robe and he's carrying a placard sign that says, anybody wanna fill in the blank? The end is near. And and usually that cartoon is used to say what, really? Those goofy Christians, those goofy people who believe that it's all going to end soon, can they be serious? Should we take them seriously? And the implication is, of course not. That's just something they say. And they make a joke of it and so there's all this conflict all this conflict around the last times and Judgment Day conflict even about what we think it's gonna look like let me show you a couple pictures what what's your view of the end of the world does it look like a desolate landscape filled with just a bunch of garbage there are plenty of movies that make it look like that? Does it look like a a nuclear war has broken out in your mind's eye? Is that what the end of the world is going to look like? Or maybe you have a little bit more traditional ancient view of what the end of the world is going to look like, and, and it looks like this old painting from the 1500s. And that's what you think the end of the world is going to look like. You see, we have all These conflicting points of view. So, with all of that said, I hope you get the why. The why for studying Revelation 20 is to once again come back simply to God, simply to the Holy Spirit, recognizing that the world has its messages about the end times. Different Christians, as we'll look at in a moment, have their views about the end times, and and we really don't know when it's all going to end, but God is still clearly saying to us, urging us to be ready. Let me show you a quote from 500 years ago. Now that the end of the world is approaching, that's what it was said 500 years ago, the people rage and rave most horribly against God and blaspheme and damn God's word. Does that sound a little bit like our world today? If the last day were not close at hand, it would be small wonder if heaven and earth were to fall at such blasphemy. We shouldn't be surprised, says Martin Luther 500 years ago. Look at the condition of the world and how people think about God. In fact, They speak evil of God. That's what blasphemy is. The fact that God can tolerate such a thing as this is a sign that the day is not far off. So let's read. And I hope, as I said at the outset, you're ready to do a little work because there are some things in here that are kind of interesting. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. It's in your program. It'll be on the screen. And here's what it says. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. You see, we've got already concepts we may not be sure about. What's an abyss? What's a thousand years? Is that a real thousand years? He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God." They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. See, that thousand years thing, to understand that properly, is pretty important, isn't it? It's in here a lot. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Man, some frightening and very tough images in there. But let's go through them. And as you pull out your notes, I'm going to just give you uh, parts one, two, and three so that you kind of have an outline and a framework. First of all, we're going to talk about because Revelation talks about it in chapter 20. We're going to talk about now. What, what is what is uh, God telling John and John telling us about now? And then we're going to, in the second part, talk about someday soon, and possibly parts of this are also right now. And then finally, part three, we'll talk about how it all Ends. You'll get those again later on. So if you didn't get all of them, but let's let's go back and take a look at the first six verses for the now. And what we see described here is an angel coming down out of heaven. He's got the key to the abyss. What's the abyss? The abyss is a, a prison. Uh, an abyss literally means like a bottomless pit. It's a deep, deep pit. And, um, and so Satan is going to be thrown into this bottomless pit and bound with a chain, which we know Satan is a spirit. So what kind of chain is that? And then he's going to be kept there, it says, for a thousand years. And for sure, that's what happened. So let's talk about that for just a second. What that is a picture of is... The New Testament era. A thousand years doesn't mean forever. A thousand years means it began when Jesus was sent, died, rose again, and ascended into heaven. That's the beginning of the thousand years. And the end of it is going to be when Christ returns for a second time. Now, why a thousand years to picture that? Well, As we've been told before, this book is a certain type of literature called apocalyptic. Apocalyptic literature is found other places in the Bible, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, and so forth. And always in that type of literature, just like when you have poetry, you have certain characteristics that go with poetry, like rhyme and rhythm, for example. You have characteristics that go with this kind of literature called apocalyptic. One of them is the symbolic use of numbers. And this is a symbolic use of a number, basically saying all the time from when Jesus arrived to when he comes again, a second time is included in this. And why a thousand? Because what's a number of completeness? What do they do when your baby is born in the hospital to make sure you gotta, your baby is whole and healthy? One of the things they do is they count the fingers and the toes. Yep. Ten fingers, ten toes. So in the Bible, in the symbolism of the Bible, ten is a number of completeness. And if you want to say really, really, really complete, you say ten times ten times ten, which equals a thousand. So go with me here. What's being said is that God is going to send a powerful angel to contain Satan and he's going to be chained, the chain likely represents the Word of God. So wherever the gospel is, wherever the Word is, Satan is chained. He's, he's like a pit bull, very vicious, but he can only go as far as God allows him to go if he comes up out of this abyss, he's still chained, and he will get jerked right back into his prison again right back into his doghouse. As long as we make sure we're using God's word that keeps him chained. So this is the Holy Spirit's way of encouraging John and us, never, never meander far from this. Because this keeps Satan in his abyss. This keeps him chained and controlled. When you're in the word, when you're listening to the gospel, for you, the entire time between Jesus first came, all Christians, until he comes again, as long as you're in this, you're going to be protected. That's, that's what's being said here. So let's go on and read the next uh, verses. I saw I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the Word of God. So remember, he's got this vision into where God is, and he's seeing thrones, and he's seeing that the people who have been martyred for the faith, which John was living in a time that was very tough for the church. There were martyrs. John himself, remember, was imprisoned on a prison island. He had seen the other apostles martyred for their faith and many others. This was a church that was out of sync with its world. Can you relate to that? A church out of popularity. In fact, a church hated by the world that it was set in. And in fact, I would say we probably need to look forward ourselves and realize that right now we are out of sync. We may be headed on the way to truly being hated and persecuted. But the comfort is, as John sees it, those who had been persecuted because of this testimony, this word, they're now going to be set up as judges. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. Meaning they had not been branded or stamped with unbelief. They had stuck to their faith against all odds. It says they came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This should remind you of a passage in the book of Hebrews where it says we are surrounded as Christians alive right now. We are in this church, sometimes people call us who are still alive, the church militant. We're still fighting. But in Hebrews, it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, implying that those who have gone ahead of us and are now in what people call the church triumphant, Sometimes people ask, can people who've already died see what's going on here? Well, the author to the book of Hebrews says they're cheering you on. They're witnessing this. They're watching this as, you know, better than the Super Bowl, witnessing your struggles, praying for you, cheering for you, hoping you're going to stay in your faith in Christ the way they did. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. In other words, everybody else will come to life on Judgment Day when the thousand years, the time between Jesus' arrival and his second coming, has ended. And when that happens, there's going to be a great resurrection. Jesus mentions it in Matthew 24 and 25. And it's called the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. And some commentators actually believe this first resurrection actually means anybody who comes to faith along the way in these thousand years. So, blessed are holy are and are those who share in the first resurrection. Let's say that does mean, if you've been brought to faith spiritually, you have risen from the dead. Now, look at that passage. What does it call you? It calls you blessed and holy. Life's a struggle. Life was a struggle for these early believers in the day of John. But what he wants them to hear is, no matter how much you're struggling right now, are you dealing with an illness Are you dealing with family struggles? Is something at work not going the way that you hoped it would? And maybe you even feel like you're under a cloud, that Satan is just attacking you, that you can't quite get into the clear life feels like you're going through a bunch of briars and thorns and deep and dense bush and you're fighting to get out into the clear and you can't quite make it and john says to people who are experienced that experiencing just that in his day don't forget no matter how tough life gets in jesus christ you are still blessed And that Greek word, by the way, means happy. You are makarios. You're you're still, even though the situation in life doesn't seem good, your situation with God is good. So be happy. And you've been made holy. Happy and holy are those who are in Christ. So here's what I want you to write. For now we are happy and holy in Jesus. Though it may not always seem so, we may still feel like we're fighting through the bush. We may still feel like we are under Satan's cloud and attack. Between God and us, all is right. I hope you hear that loud and clear. Do you know that in today's world, more and more people are struggling with anxiety and depression, the amount of, um, of drugs that are being prescribed have gone way up in the last 25, 30 years. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad. I myself have taken antidepressants during my life. And if you need an antidepressant to balance the chemicals in your brain, I hope you're taking that antidepressant. I have a very good young friend who just found out that probably it's genetic that he needs to take an antidepressant medication. So I'm not preaching against antidepressants in the least. I think they're an amazing development of science and medicine. I do. And my favorite word, I'm going to say that this is Jesus' promise to you and don't Take the medicine and forget these beautiful words. Take the medicine if you need it. And remember, no matter what, I'm happy and I'm holy in the sight of God. Or don't take the medicine. Maybe many of you in this room, darn, you're not diagnosed with depression or anxiety. You're just living life. And sometimes life is hard temporarily, or maybe even a long time. And you just need to be reminded, and I want to be the one to remind you today, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, in your relationship with God, be happy and be holy because that is what you already are in Jesus. All right, someday soon. So that's now, we're in this battle Satan is there. He's battling to get out of his abyss. We're we're in this for the fullness of time until Jesus returns that thousand years. But what next? And then we read verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. When the thousand years are over, when Jesus returns, Satan will be released from his prison. Now, this is just slightly before Jesus returns. Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. In other words, the world doesn't love us. We're called the city Jesus loved, the city God loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now there, as I mentioned before, there's conflict in our world. There's conflict about even how to interpret what the thousand years is and what all these different dispensations and seasons are. There's a chart, John, in there that I put. Would you show that chart? Kind of a timeline. So, if you, ta- one of the things to just understand, if you talk to Christians, if they've been taught for a while, they probably, the vast majority of Christians not, not in our Lutheran fellowship, have been taught a timeline like that. So this is why sometimes if you're talking about end times, you, you, it's hard to disconnect because here at Amazing Love, we don't teach this exact timeline. And I'll, I'll tell you how it's different. But it's, it's important that you see this to know It's hard to talk about the end times sometimes with other Christians. And it's hard because there's conflict and you're really talking apples and oranges. You're not talking apples and apples. So what do many Christians are taught to believe that there will be a church age. And then after that, a great tribulation. Then a second coming. Then as you see there, a millennium, a thousand years, a literal 1,000 years. Where Christ reigns physically on earth, and then there's the big judgment day. That's what many people believe. Now, let me, let me tell you what our interpretation and view is. See the cross there? What I just taught you in the first section is that's the start of the millennium, and Christ is not physically physically reigning on earth. He's reigning through his word. That's what I taught. And I said, as long as you stay close to Christ through his word, you're going to be okay. Satan is chained for you. And so for us, the millennium, again, symbolic or the thousand years starts at the cross and ends right at the end where you see throne of judgment. So that's for us the whole millennium. Do you see if you're trying to talk? to other Christians who've been taught this, you're going to get confused. But I want you to see this so that you know and can expect it. You can always study it more later. Don't have to know what all the details and the tribulation. Now, one thing I will say is, see that part that says great tribulation, it's depicted as seven years. We don't really know how long the great tribulation is going to last. We would push it, as the last period of the millennium. So the the tribulation would be the last little bit of the millennium where Satan is released... And then Jesus comes for judgment. Now, I don't know if I'm clarifying or muddying things for you, but that's why I said you kind of got to come ready to work hard and think hard today. I apologize for that, but that's just the nature of Revelation chapter 20. So for us, and what we teach, Dustin will teach, is the millennium is a symbolic number of years from Jesus' arrival to Jesus' second return, and at the end of that period, we don't know for how long, Satan is going to be released and it's going to get bad. That's what you need to know. Remember in the title to this, I said, Someday soon or possibly also right now? Why the parentheses? Because the question is Is that period of tribulation already started? has Satan, in effect, already been released? Is that why we're seeing what we see in today's world? That it's very topsy-turvy for those of you who've grown up knowing Jesus and you're feeling like now you can't talk about Jesus at your place of work or even acknowledge that you're a Christian so, so that they don't look at you like some sort of crazy person or weird person. And, and you're feeling like, wow, The politics today are so upsetting, I don't even want to watch the news and the war. And what you're seeing is that this is how God keeps us on our toes, and it is possible that we're in the very end and the beginning of that tribulation period, but we don't know for sure. Why? We'll put that quote from Luther up, the second quote, not the first one. We already heard the first one. (laughs) Again, 500 years ago. Here's why it's hard to tell where we're at exactly. Luther said, wars at the present time are of such a character as to make former wars appear as mere child's play. I think we'd kind of say that, wouldn't we? The kind of weaponry that we have nowadays not wanting to start a nuclear conflict? And then he goes on to say, well, what about the storms? What about the weather? What about the climate? There are such storms and tempests and waters rolling as have never before been seen or heard. That's 500 years ago. So we have to be careful because you got to come back to what Jesus said. No one knows the day or the hour. But all these things, the storms, the wars, the climate, the politics, let them act as notifications. And let them make you think. Remember the question at the beginning is, how should I receive this? What should I think about? Do I go down into the basement? Or do I just roll over and go, ah, it's too early, let the tornado take me? And what John is telling us is react. Think about this. It's real. Not knowing the day or the hour is not meant to make you lackadaisical. It's meant to make you think maybe it's now. Possibly it's right now. So here's what I want you to write down. In the last days, we will pass through terrible times. Know that and expect it. But Satan and his allies will be defeated forever. And the devil, you can see the quote I put in your notes, who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That's hell. Joining the beast and the false prophet, those are two of Satan's allies. I won't dig deep into that right now. We're almost out of time. But it says, here's their end. They're going to be tormented day and night forever and ever. It's sealed. It's done. You don't have to worry about Satan because he has been defeated forever and ever. And now finally, how it all ends. So let's read that last section. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Now, this is probably one of the easiest sections in 20 to interpret, because we're told basically these exact things by Jesus himself in Matthew 24 and 25. We read one of those earlier in Matthew. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now we don't talk about this very much. I'm not just talking about amazing love. Any more Christians don't talk about it much. Because they don't want to be depicted as that crazy guy in the hair robe with the placard sign, the end is near and judgment day is coming. And so we kind of avoid it. We kind of shy away from it. We don't want to be those crazy people with the disheveled hair and the camel's hair robe and the placard. But we need to talk about it. It's important to face it. It's important to realize there is a judgment day, and it will come. It will come. And notice what it says there. We will all be judged according to our deeds. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But think about that for a moment. There is a judgment day, and you will not avoid it. I will not avoid it. It, he says it in so many ways in this section. Everybody's going to be there. And it's, we're going to be standing before a, a great white throne. And on it's going to be seated our judge, Jesus. I don't know if it'll look exactly like that, but it's going to look something like that. And we'll be there. You'll be there. I'll be there. It's frightening in some ways to think about it because we know ourselves. When the law strikes our hearts, the first thought is, I don't know if I want to go there. It's too scary to think about what God may think about me. I feel that. Maybe you do too. But I want to encourage you to look at this not just through the eyes and the lens of the law. More importantly, I want you to look at it through the lens of the gospel. And and here's what Paul the Apostle assures us, John does too in the book of Revelation, but it's it's so clear here in First Corinthians. Look at what Paul says. God chose the lowly things of this world. You feel like that sometimes? And the despised things and the things that are not. Does anyone here ever catch them saying themselves, saying, I'm just a nobody? To nullify the things that are. So that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, what's this wisdom? Jesus is your righteousness. Jesus is your holiness. Jesus is your redemption. When you stand before God and that great throne on judgment day, whose deeds are you going to be judged by really? What are your deeds now? All of Jesus' deeds are your deeds now. That's what Paul just said. He's become for us our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. So here's what I want you to write in. In the end, this is what happens at the very end, we will stand before God's throne of judgment. All who trust in Jesus... Will be judged according to his deeds. That's what Paul tells us. Because his deeds have become your deeds. You have nothing to worry about. In fact, the day of judgment is going to be a day of great rejoicing for you. So, what do you do with the warnings, alerts, and notifications? With the Revelation 20 type, I hope you rejoice. Because in Jesus, you are ready. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, thank you for all the warnings and the notifications. For all the alerts that make us aware that we are ready for judgment day because of all that Jesus did for us at the cross and the empty tomb. Thanks for keeping us alert to the fact that things in these last days may be tough, very tough. But you are with us. And you will walk with us through it and be with us to strengthen us. And you will contain Satan also in our lives. And we thank you for that, Jesus. And we thank you as we pray, confident that you hear and answer our prayers. Amen. Let's join in the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen.